time is the enemy. So I believe that the company that can see further beyond the horizon can recognize opportunities and threats sooner and devise and deploy decisive responses faster is going to have the competitive advantage. Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Welcome to another CI for Life podcast. Today's topic is how to improve our state of readiness in order to meet the changing needs of our future. From this podcast, you can expect to learn some advanced learnings on how to integrate operational excellence and its toolkit as a key strategy to respond to any changes, both personally and corporately. As we record this in April 2020, I ask myself and spend most of my time focusing on these podcasts and other efforts on how can we prepare to come out of this crisis prepared and ready to address our new realities. To answer this question, I connected with an author and his book called State of Readiness. My special guest today is Joseph Paris. Joseph is an expert in operational excellence strategy, design and deployment, an international entrepreneur, coach, writer, and speaker with engagements around the world. He's also author of several books, including State of Readiness. He is the chairman and founder of many operational excellence institutes and societies, and we'll put more about that information in the podcast notes. But Joseph, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Hey, Rick. It's great to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I enjoyed our, our prep calls, and uh, there's a lot of energy in them. So I'm looking forward to uh, this conversation, too. So am I. And uh, Joseph's call. You're in Germany today, aren't you? That's correct. Uh, Frankfurt, just outside of Frankfurt. Oh, very good. Uh, really pleased that you could join us today. And Joseph and RLG met in 2018 at an Operational Excellence Summit in Florida, and RLG had just won a Business Transformation and Operational Excellence Award for our work with American Airlines for a step change in performance in line maintenance. And uh, we met Joseph there. He delivered a couple of sessions, uh, talks at plenary sessions in the conference at the Culture of Leadership and Organizational Design. And so, Joseph, why don't we start out by letting the audience know how you found Operational Excellence and what it means to you and how important it is in the in today's world. Well, I'm, I'm going to try to consolidate this this segment down considerably. Okay. There's a lot more meat on the bones than what I'll be sharing, um, but it could go on for, for, for some time. Um, <clears throat> short version is that in early 2000, I was at an industrial engineering conference, and there was a discussion about operational excellence. And most people were thinking of it as uh, basically a rebranding of Lean and Six Sigma. And I'm like, you know, why do we need, I like the notion of operational excellence, but I don't quite understand what it might be. Um, so I was like user number five on LinkedIn, and I went back, and I, you know, they had a thing called groups, so I grabbed the operational excellence group on LinkedIn, and, you know, people started joining. And I got up to like 10,000 people, and I'm like, who the heck are these 10,000 people? And I started <laughs> looking at them, you know? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's a pretty big group of people. And, yeah. Uh, and I started looking at them, and it's like, you know, the challenges they face people face and companies face are the same all over the world. But how they approach them are very, very local. You know, if, uh, if, if, if I grew up in South Africa, I'm going to fix things with WD-40 and duct tape. 
Okay, if uh, I'm born in Germany, I'm going to engineer a fix that uh, you know 10,000 years from now, an architect or archaeologist will find, and it'll still be working. And Americans are some somewhat in between. But I, I, you know, I really couldn't get the notion of what it was. Still, you know, even though the, all these people were were all trying to problem solve. And then one of my friends, uh, I have a bunch of friends that are are aviators, Marine and Navy mostly. Okay. And uh, they all go by their call signs. So yeah. one gentleman, uh, his name is uh, Boom. Uh, and uh, by the way, you're not, um, you never get to pick your own call sign. Yeah. Okay. You're only uh, given a call sign based on some something stupid that you did. And so uh, Boom got his call sign by landing his his aircraft too hard on the deck and blowing out the tires, and that's how he got his name. Okay. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm talking to Boom and. And Boom said that his uh, carrier group had been made operational. And I'm like, operational? What does that mean? And he says, well, it means that the, the Navy uh, uh, considers the aircraft carrier and all of its support apparatus and personnel um, uh, prepared to engage in the purpose for which they are intended. Hmm. I'm like, ah, so operational is a condition. It's not a thing. It's a condition. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so that set me on a trajectory of, of you know, what is operational excellence? And I still, you know, I still had to define it, you know. And, and uh, there was a gentleman years ago, there was a Supreme Court justice, when he was asked what obscenity, uh, uh, to define obscenity, uh, he couldn't define it. But I'll know but it he when I see that, it. <laughs> yeah, but I know it when I see it. Okay, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. So most of the definitions of operational excellence that I've come across are not definitions. They're descriptions. You know, they're describing characteristics yeah. of of what operational excellence is. So it took me a long time to distill down um, a definition which serves as my lighthouse. And by the way, I don't propose that I'm the keeper of the truth, okay? So if somebody else has a different definition, God bless them. Um, yeah. This is the one that I, I distilled for my own purposes. And it's uh, simply stated, operational excellence is a state of readiness. No coincidence, it's the name of, of my book. Yeah. Attained as the efforts throughout the enterprise reach a state of alignment for pursuing its strategies where the corporate culture is committed to the continuous and deliberate improvement of company performance and the circumstances of those who work there, and it's a precursor to becoming a high-performing organization. Ooh. So, that's you know, a that's, lot, that's, but that's good. That's that's a lot, but you know, it's it's open enough so that people you know don't say, oh, well, where's Lean and Six Sigma and the voice of the customer and the, you know, yeah. it, you know, it's it's performance, company performance. You know, basically says how are you progressing according to your company's plan? Yes, you know. And the circumstances of those that work there, it's not what I think is important to them. It's what they think is important to themselves. So it's what is the circumstances of those that work there. So that's my working definition for the time being. I love it. Well, bring me back to that LinkedIn story. How how big is the Operational Excellence Group today? Uh, it's roughly 70,000 members. Yeah, that's impressive. So, yeah. It's well a, done. It's a, yeah, thank you. It's a... You know, people, uh, you know, I add about 10 or so people a day, and uh, the engagement is good. I keep it nice and clean, you know, no spam and no stuff out there. It's like I want the content to always add value to the consumer. Yeah. And that's really what I – that's how I manage the site. So. And I've been watching it for over a year as well, and I think there's a it's a really good uh, collection of ideas and people, so I'd highly recommend it. But let's go back. I love your definition. I love the story of Boom there. And it's a condition 
state of readiness. Um, what's the benefit? Why should listeners pay attention to operational excellence? And what have you seen either quantitatively or qualitatively as the benefit of really good operational excellence? Okay, so during the uh, you know pre uh, previous century, uh, people uh, sought their competitive advantage by optimizing processes. Yeah. You know, lean and six sigma was the rage. And, you know, now, you know, as the 21st century, right, 21st century uh, is upon us, um, pretty much every company in the world is aware of lean and six sigma, and they have deployed it or are deploying it, albeit to varying degrees of completeness uh, and effectiveness and or tying it back to the purity of the, of uh, what was uh, first conceived of as um, Lean and Six Sigma. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's not enough today. Agreed. Okay? Having, having optimized processes is not enough. You know, I, our competition today is no longer our competitors. Think about that. Yeah. Our competition today is no longer our competitors. Our competition, our enemy, is time. Mm. Okay? Time is the enemy. So I believe that the company that can see further beyond the horizon than its enemy can recognize opportunities and threats sooner and devise and deploy decisive responses faster is going to have the competitive advantage. And this is a challenge with process improvement. And I'm going to ask you a question. How much data do you have to collect and analyze in order to absolutely guarantee an outcome. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> almost impossible to get there. Right, right. So, yeah, we have to make decisions, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, in order to progress, a decision has to be made. So I would propose that we make decisions when our level of confidence exceeds our level of fear. Okay. Okay. So certainly data and the analysis of data will help build that confidence. Certainly, understanding the capabilities of your staff and apparatus are going to build our confidence. Okay, and we're going to make that decision when our confidence exceeds our fears. Yeah. So, data collection and analysis is only going to go so far. As a leader, we have to know what our apparatus, the entirety of our apparatus, is, is capable and prepared uh, to perform. Yeah, you never get perfect data, right? And, and I think your no. background is in ERP, et cetera. But if your decision or your confidence goes beyond your fears, I like that little thought there. Very good. Yeah. Okay. I mean, think of, you yeah, know, I, I, I talk about I talk about the OODA loop. Yes. Okay. And I, I guess maybe we'll uh, cover that a, a little bit later because I don't want to get too deep into that right now because I, you know, I think we'll just cover it when we uh, we do sort of like the wrap up, you know, like the secret sauce. Yes, yeah, I wanted to get to some specific okay. tools for the listeners, but take me okay. to your book now, and I'm intrigued by the idea of state of readiness, and you've touched on it a little bit already, but let me read a, a part of the foreword in, in your book that I really enjoyed and I think gets to maybe the comprehensive nature of operational excellence over just a tool or an approach. So it's, it reads like this, and then let me ask you to comment on state of readiness. State of readiness provides meaningful guidance for create, talking about your book here, for creating a culture of leadership and innovation within your company. It shows how to accelerate the decision-making process so that iterative prog progress towards company objectives occurs faster and the misstep, missteps are less costly. 
how to build high-performance individuals and how to form high-performance teams from these individuals and how to ensure that all efforts and resources across your value chain are aligned, you've mentioned that already, are aligned for the pursuit of your company strategies. Can you comment there about, about that thought and uh, what are the key steps for better state of readiness? Well, I think that ultimately um, a company needs to know uh, its vision of the future in absolute terms. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be able to communicate that vision of the future in absolute terms. In other words, it's not enough to say we're number one. We're going to be number one. Yeah. We're going to be the number one what? What What is our number one? Is it our number one is revenue? Are we going to be number one in revenue? Is it going to be number one in market share? Is it going to be number one in profitability? You know, what does number one mean? What does that goal mean? Because you got to understand that, you know, the CEO is going to be sharing. When I say the CEO, I mean the whole senior leadership team, but I just abbreviate it down to the, sure. to the CEO. Um, you know, that whole leadership team, the CEO, has to be able to understand for themselves what number one is, and they have to be able to communicate it effectively to the people that are going to achieve number one. Right. Now, if it's not crystal clear enough, people are not going to be able to align because they're going to have their own interpretation of what number one is, right? Yeah. So one person might be thinking it's in, you know, it's profitability. Another is going to be thinking market share. Another one is going to be thinking customer satisfaction. And they're, they're not aligned, yeah. okay? Now, the challenge here is on the CEO, actually, because I'm sure in the CEO's mind, what number one is is crystal clear. Yeah. And that person, the CEO, would be surprised if it wasn't as crystal clear to everybody else. But that's a gigantic assumption that causes nothing but heartache. And disconnection. Yeah. Okay. And disconnection. Yeah. So we really need, the CEO really needs to be able to distill down in absolute terms what that number one means mm-hmm. so that people can prioritize their efforts. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they can make a meaningful impact on the, that journey towards number one or whatever that vision of the future is. Yeah. I, I can I can align with that. So a clear, compelling, and, and highly communicated vision can help with state of readiness. What else? What other thoughts yeah. do you have? You know, there's um, uh, an anecdote. I don't know how true it is or not. Um, one of the uh, best vision statements I ever have come across in my life was JFK's vision of the moon, the, yep. the moonshot. Yep. Okay. He, you know, said simple terms by the end of this decade okay so we haven't we have a goal line you know yeah. we have a time, a time. by the yeah. end of this decade by the, this is when it's going to happen by by the end of this decade we will send a man to the moon and successfully return him to earth okay that was it yeah all right very very absolute terms um and of course you know getting somebody to the moon is a lot easier than returning them safely back to earth all right, because there's a lot of things that, that have to go on. And the story goes that uh, JFK was touring NASA, and he came across a janitor, and he asked janitor, a maintenance person, what he was doing. And the maintenance person or janitor said, I'm sending a man to the moon. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like simple, simple, Fully connected and aligned, yeah. 
Right, right. But you know, like I said, it's an anecdote. But everybody knew what the mission was. And by the way, I think it was in July of of '69. Uh, uh, Neil Armstrong actually did set his foot uh, on the moon. Right. Despite what some NBA players say in the news last year, but yeah, yeah we won't yeah, go oh into my that. Gosh. Yeah, we won't go into that. <laughs> yeah. So let, let me come at it from a slightly different angle and, and get your thoughts yeah. on it, because you know, in my 31 years of implementing performance improvement uh, in large organizations, I see terrific process, and you might have a fully defined financial ERP system or operational excellence program, so to speak, or more specifically, operational management system. Everybody's in a chase to get this perfect process or management system, which is good. But the key in my mind is how you properly implement those business processes, because there's lots of great organizations with great process and they're not implemented properly. So what what's your insights into how to properly implement good business process? Well, let's think about that for a second. I mean, you know, there's a difference between processes and systems and organizations, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's almost like a, you know, a, a Lego set, you know, the, the processes are the fundamental building blocks in a, an assortment of processes designed to generate some outcome is a system and a series of systems constitute the organization. Okay. So if you think about, you know, processes are very, very vertical, you know, they have a start and they have an end. And, you know, if you adhere to Lean and Six Sigma principles, very few variants. Yeah. Right? So they have a start and they have an end with very few variants. Uh, those, that process is assembled and assorted with other processes to form a system. Okay. You know, so if you think about the production process, you know, you have supply chains that are feeding, uh, you know, inventory, raw materials. They're being affected. They're being manipulated. They're ultimately ending up in, in, to raw good or finished goods and going on to uh, to customers or distributors and, and what have you. So each one of those is uh, you know a linear process uh, that constitutes a system of production. But if we're thinking about the organization, there's got to be an interconnection. We're going to call this a horizontal integration. So okay. not just vertical optimization, but horizontal integration is necessary. We have to understand from sales what their projections are for sales of these products, okay? Uh, finance has to know what the cash flow is going to be like. Uh, marketing has to know how to best position these pro uh, products, and that might vary from region to region, country to country, et cetera, et cetera, time of year and, and what have you. I uh, funny thing is, I just had a, you know, early Easter uh, uh, chocolate here. It was in the form of a bunny, but when I opened it up, it was a Santa Claus. Okay, so they just put you know bunny wrapper on the on the okay. Santa Claus, and, and so you know you have to be able to adapt your inventory uh, to uh, to the changing seasons even. So all of these things have to work in concert with one another in order for that organization to operate better as an organization. Yeah. But you know operational excellence isn't about when everything is going right; it's about when things go wrong. Okay. You know how. How prepared, how much of a state of readiness is the company able to be uh, uh, reactive to the changing circumstances? I think it was Mike Tyson that famously said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. You know, so, you know, here we are in the middle of the, middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, and a lot of companies are getting punched in the mouth right now. 
and how are they reacting? You know, how are they engaging? Yeah. Look, can I just come back to your vertical and horizontal integration again? Because I think you're onto sure. something, obviously. But the whole idea that even vertically in the organization by function, we're getting a lot more efficient, a lot less waste, and that the gap still in, in our system, so to speak, is that horizontal uh, integration. And the waste still is the silos between departments. Have you got any thoughts, Joseph, on how to help with that horizontal integration that you were speaking about? Yeah, break down the barriers. You know, unfortunately, we put in uh, place our own barriers. I think it was Elon Musk recently uh, said that, uh, you know, if somebody, if, I, if for instance, Rick, I know you have the answer, okay, but you're in a different department. You're in a whole different, you know, yeah. part of the business, okay? Uh, you know, tradition has it that I will contact my manager who will contact your yeah. manager to put us together, yeah. okay? If I, if I know you, you might be the guy, I'm just going to give you a call. Yeah. Okay. Why, I, why can't I just give you a call? Why do I have to put friction in my way? Remember, friction is, is, is those things that um, slow us down. So yeah. why do I have to put friction in way within our own organization? And we see this a lot in highly politicized uh, organizations where, you know, even within an organization, if I need a piece of information from somebody, I almost have to have some bartering, something to barter it. It's almost like, a, you know, radar on, uh, on MASH. You know, mm. he could get the ventilator, but he's got to, you know, trade a case of bourbon for it, you know. And, um, <laughs> you know, why does it have to be that way within our organization? So in order to integrate horizontally, and I'm not talking about people learning other people's jobs, Okay. For instance, there's a reason I don't, you know, I love golf, but there's a reason I don't play on the PGA Tour. It's because no matter how much I try, I'm still going to suck. Okay. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, therefore, I, my, my proposal is not that you learn these other jobs. You know who they are and what they have and uh, how they might be able to help you and how you might be able to help them. And just break down those barriers. Oh, I love that. And I love your idea of friction. Go look for friction between your departments in the organization. And that's where the waste is. That's where the opportunity is to drive better efficiency and alignment. Um, so yeah. any thoughts? You know, on... there's, yeah, go there's ahead. Actually a test, there's actually a test for that. Okay. okay. If you ever find yourself saying there must be a better way, yeah, I guarantee there is. Guarantee. There's friction there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. A couple of good tells right there. Okay, so, yeah, as promised earlier, let's look to a couple of specific tools in your toolkit that may help here as we sit in April 2020. And one of the things you already mentioned is the OODA loop. And I want you just to talk about that for a little bit and, and the background there and how that's going to help with accelerated decision making. Okay, so um, Colonel John Boyd, I think it was the 1950s, uh, during the Korean War, um, our aviators were uh, underperforming against the uh, our adversaries okay and um uh, boyd uh, colonel boyd who was with the air force i think it was with the air force i, I believe so uh, conceived of uh, a, a manner in which we can accelerate the de decision pro making process so he came up with a, the concept of the OODA loop which stands for observe orient decide and act so it's O-O-D-A loop, and it is a loop. So, um, you know, if I'm sure that you've seen the inside of a cockpit, right? Yep. You know, or the flight deck of a of a uh, you know commercial airline. 
Well, could you imagine being in a dogfight? All right, now you got all these knobs and dials and buttons and levers and lights and everything else. Okay, could you imagine if you're in a dogfight and you're about ready to engage your adversary? And you say, as I'm engaging, by the way, I'm flying at Mach 1. Yeah. As the end, so, and they're, they're flying at Mach 1. So we're basically converging at 1,200 plus miles per hour. <laughs> okay. Um, and can you imagine as you're about ready to engage, uh, you say, okay, what's my altitude? And you look at your altitude dial, and then you, what's my airspeed? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's my orientation to the, to the horizon? And, and, you know, as you're making these, you know, conscious uh, ch uh, checklist decisions, uh, you're done. Okay, if you, you're, if you're taking too you've long lost. to make those. Yeah. You're, you've lost, okay? So the, the idea here is about uh, observe, is what are your external circumstances? Okay, what's happening on, you know, around you, right? Orient, what do we know about ourselves? What do we know about our adversaries? And when I say ourselves, what do I know about my training? What do I know about my aircraft? You know, uh, what do I know about my adversaries' training and their air aircraft and maybe some of their tactics? Okay, what are my tactics? And so now we're not looking, we're feeling. We're making these, uh, these um, uh, decisions based on our training, what we know, and how that knowledge is being applied to circumstances unfolding in milliseconds. Yeah. Right? And then we decide, and then we act, right? And the idea is that whoever executes through their OODA loop faster, whoever makes those decisions and engages faster, is going to have the advantage. Not a guarantee of a success, but have the advantage. Success lies in the outcome. And it's a loop because, you know, if I, you know, break right or break left, now I'm in a different set of circumstances my adversary is in a different set of circumstances, and we have to go through the whole thing again. Yeah. All right? So the whole idea is that the more, if I'm a business owner, the more I know about what's going on around me, think about COVID-19, yeah. okay? The more I know about what's going on around me, and mind you, it's really difficult to understand what that is because the story is changing and there's there's conflicting information. Yes. But I have to feel my way through that, Okay. Yeah. As a leader, I have to evaluate that, what I know what's going on outside of, of my business. Then I have to understand what I'm capable of inside my business. What is its state of readiness? Okay? And not just state of readiness for this unforeseen uh, challenge that we're living through right now, but um, how do I know what the capabilities of my internal organization is? You know, what's the readiness of my apparatus? What's the readiness of any contracts that I might have? How is this going to affect the downstream customers or and, and the uh, upstream um, uh, suppliers? So I have to make all these decisions now in real time. And the faster I can do that, the better off I'm going to be. And like with any real peril or tragedy that's unfolding, my opinion is you get to the bottom as quick as possible possible. Um, hopefully, we've seen that in the stock market, you know, a 30% dip in 10 days' time, yep. you know. Hopefully, we get to the bottom as quickly as possible. The markets are pretty pure and simple when it comes to that. Um, and once there, then we could build from that platform. But uh, normally, in, in situations like this, it's very difficult um, to plan an expansion unless you're a company 
uh, whose future is being influenced by now, like like Zoom and, and Amazon. You know, how much more are people buying from Amazon rather than going to the stores? Is that going to change uh, the, their future behavior? The same with telephony. You know, whether it's Cisco or Zoom or uh, or GoToMeeting or, or even Microsoft and, and Skype. Um, you know, what's going to be the new norm? Yeah, and the better they can make and, and go through the information and decide, the better they're and stronger they're going to come out of this. Yeah. So I also and, see – yeah, go ahead, Joe. And, 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 and conversely, if I was an airline and I'm thinking, geez, business people might might actually think that making decisions over, uh, you know, a, telef a telephonic meeting yeah. is, is a lot quicker and a lot less expensive, you know, this might change behavior – for business meetings going forward, and what's downside uh, implications for airlines on that? And therefore, how do I adjust? Yes, exactly correct. Yeah, yeah, and be thinking of that now. That's that's great tie into state of readiness. So I also want to get your comment on how this applies to personal change management, because it, as I think through those same four areas, that seems to be a really good way to analyze and adjust here here as we are in April 2020 about my own personal situation. Any comments there? Well, you know, it's, I guess it really comes down to your personality. Okay. Um, I, I'm i a person that likes to play offense. I don't like to play defense. Okay, <laughs> so, you know, when 9-11 happened, um, it didn't uh, influence uh, my travel plans, for instance, or whether or not I was going to get on an airplane. Okay. The only thing that I, I saw as a result of that is that I have to get to the airport earlier, and it's real irritation to get through the lines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, then there was the financial crisis, right? And I that didn't paralyze me either. You know, just I think that you, you know, if you let your fear consume you, that's uh, that's going to put a gigantic limiter on your lifestyle. Yeah. So. You know, I'm not saying to be reckless, like jump out of an airplane without a parachute kind of reckless or, right. or be on a Red Bull, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, competition. Um, but uh, just know that, you know, after this, it's going to be the same as it was before. Yeah. You know, it really is. I mean, um, you know, people are still going to go out and they're going to congregate. We're, we're social, you know, uh, uh, beings, you know, we're going to go to the beer gardens or we're going to go to the restaurants. Heck, we might want to go to them more often because, uh, we've been deprived and we understand what that means. Um, I guess that's my hope. That's how I'll probably Well, be. and just the very, just to tie into Uda again, just the idea of a tool and a methodology to build confidence can help you overcome fear to one of your earlier points in the podcast. Confidence Absolutely. overcomes fear. So very good. Okay, Joseph, and really appreciate the time today. But in wrap up, any other advice to leaders or individuals in April 2020 as we sit here and trying to respond to this current crisis? Yeah, the one thing I would say is get ahead of it. Whatever it is, get ahead of it. If you're you know, tracking back to the OODA loop, Make sure they're reacting to your OODA loop. You're not reacting to theirs. And it's very, very difficult because it's already ahead of us. So we have to fight to get ahead of it. Um, and, you know, I guess the, the other thing is, like, don't let somebody else tell your story. Hmm. You know I mean, we, we have to be proactive. We have to be communicative. We have to be telling 
people our story because nothing strikes fear into people more than the unknown. So the more we communicate, the more we tell people what's going on in real time as we know it, as we know it, not how we, as we think about it, as we know it, um, the better off everybody will be. Yeah, love it. Get ahead of it and don't let somebody else tell your story. Two really good thoughts for State of Readiness. Okay, Joseph, really appreciate the time today, and uh, all the best in the future. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Rick. It was a real pleasure. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, take care. So, some final thoughts. We tackled a big topic today. How are we going to prepare for our new future? How are we going to improve our state of readiness? And there was three thoughts that Joseph and I talked about that I wanted to underline, underline and maybe give some more detail to. And it's such a big topic. There's lots of answers to this question. I think it's a good question. How do we prepare for our new f future? And how do we you know, improve our state of readiness for the next time or for the new future? So three big thoughts from today. I thought uh, the discussion around tying it into your vision, make sure your business processes or your OMS or your, your um, ERP or any management system you have is tied into a vision. And Joseph really underlined the port of this time and in a time of crisis and need for the importance of really making sure that your vision is understood down to the front line. I thought that was a really good point. Communicate it, integrate it, translate it, so that your frontline teams can understand the vision. Um, that is worthy of a lot of effort from any small businesses or large businesses that might be listening. So thanks for that, Joseph. Number two, I thought the discussion around pace of decision-making is a really important one. And the fact that we're not gonna have perfect data going forward to make these decisions for the future. And then we tried to share a simple tool, OODA, and uh, hopefully that's helpful but I think it is worthy of our efforts on how to train to make high quality, um, high pace, velocity decision making across your organization. Whether you're a small business in uh, located altogether, or maybe even more importantly, if you're a large multinational with department, how do we make decisions around here to make set us up for a better state of readiness? And then the third point, and I think about this one a lot, is how do we break down the barriers between horizontal departments, functions? This is a massive opportunity in small business and large businesses alike. And uh, my experience is the waste isn't in the functions, isn't in between a department. We're pretty good at managing up and down where the big gaps, where the big waste, where the big opportunities are between departments. You know, and there's big consulting shops like McKinsey and others that do a great job at setting up in big companies, high level networks so that you're sharing best practices, agreeing on priorities. And those are all very important. But if you think about a single business, a small business or a single plant, the best way I know to really break down those horizontal barriers is to get them involved in your process improvement. Remember episode 28, Faster and Better, where Mike Nystrom talked about two simple principles. One, get a good cross-functional group together and do high, high value, or value stream mapping so that you can really understand your current business process that's broken and then your 2B. How does this cross-functional group optimize across geography, across departments? Oh my goodness, the front line comes up with amazing ideas, simple ideas that if we could get alignment around would make a demonstrable uh, change in your business. Getting marketing and operations and accounting all in the same 
group working together. It, it does amazing things to improve, reduce waste, reduce barriers, improve decision-making, and improve uh, profitability. And the second step behind that, obviously, is to build a visual management process where you have the right level of KPIs being reviewed with the right action orientation. And we talk about that a lot on some of the earlier podcasts around measurement and operating rhythm. So there's our uh, thoughts for today. Hopefully this topic is uh, helpful on how to improve your state of readiness. As always, really appreciate your time spending with us. If you have feedback or comments, put it right in your uh, uh, podcast app there or send me an email directly at rickh at rlginternational.com. Again, thanks for spending time with us. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.